I feel like I'm up in the women's bathroom as way it's echoing here. <laughs> <laughs> now, how would you know about that, though? That's the question. I'm just moments. guessing that would be a good place to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a toilet flushing in the background? <laughs> Brian Martin coming to you from SCI's women's bathroom. <laughs> Guess which one? And you win a free Marco Polo hunt. <laughs> Guided by Brian himself. Exactly. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> we never talk about women, cars, guns, or politics. If we did that, I wouldn't be able to talk about anything. <laughs> yeah, it's about gear and, and knowing how to knowing how to do it. Make sure you got a good sleeping pad and everything. So, but yeah, I know that Marco Polo is really awesome to hunt, but it's also not for the faint of heart when you do it the right way. But unfortunately, a lot of big Marco Polo are not shot. The way that is, you know, becoming of a Marco Polo, really. Why would you have a $4,000 spotting scope and a $150 tripod, right? It's like having a Ferrari and going and putting smart car tires on it. It's like useless. You can only drive at 100 miles an hour. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment and their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention? Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordrs.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camel patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online 
at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. All right, so we are sitting here at SCI, and this is day four. It's the last. Is it the last day? It is the last day. <laughs> last day. Brian's like, God, I can't wait to Brian, get out of it's, here. It's his birthday today. If you didn't know, is it your birthday? Are you twenty nine? Yeah, yeah. twenty nine going on thirty something. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, we're here at uh, Asian Mountain Outfitters. Brian Martin. He's uh, no stranger to the podcast. We had him on uh, a year or so ago from the Sheep Show, and uh, we just thought we'd catch up with him today and maybe talk a little bit about how things have gone for him over the last year, and then maybe we could get on a little political rant, which Brian typically never goes there ever in any conversation. So Brian, we never political? talk about women, cars, guns, or politics. Yeah. If well, we did that, I wouldn't be able to talk about anything. That's true. We can talk about religion. We, we can't talk, talk about, about guns. <laughs> we can talk about food. Hey, we've talked about food on the podcast But before. too many people talk about food. It's more fun to talk about something a little more interesting. That's true. Yeah. Man, you, you killed a big sheep recently, huh? I did. Yeah, it was about, uh, I think, 13, 14 months ago now. Seems like yesterday. Keep seeing it replayed over and over and over again. I know, because the, the Eastmans, they ran, the, um, they ran their official show. The first one was a YouTube video. And then they ran their official one, I guess, here in December. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but um, they sent me a clip of it. I got to watch a little bit, but I haven't uh, watched that. You, watch you the lived thing. it. You lived it, so you don't necessarily have to watch the show. It's always interesting how people edit things for the twist to see yeah. you know, how the storyline is. But, sure. But I've heard it was pretty good. It was. I watched it, just so you know. That's and good. You, t- you took Ike or Guy out? It was Guy. Okay. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I I've think known the family for years, probably 25 years. And, and the family's always, I mean... You didn't watch the show, so I watched it. The neat thing is they played the twist of, you know, everybody wanting to. Grandpa, right? Yeah, yeah. everybody wanting to go, and then, you know, they had to play on on their their camera guy that got sicker and shit on the trip. Yeah, because when we were hunting, none of the video footage other than the very first day of the Marco Polo was filmed by the camera guy. It was all filmed. I filmed all of it with my camera, my phone camera. And uh, the um, guy and I took turns filming different sh- shots and segments and then w- when we actually went to shooting the uh, the interpreter actually did the filming wow. but we set it up on it and we just said do not turn off the camera and it was all on a on a camera on a phone no no uh, no, no couldn't do it it was too hard for them under the heat okay. of the moment it was all underneath the, pro- the professional digital yeah. digital video camera gotcha man yeah. wow that's cool i mean i could t- i could tell that the cameraman guy wasn't there, but they they told us that early on that he yeah. was just sick from elevation sickness. But yeah. it was still they, you guys got you got good, some good little clips, and then there was a couple other clips that I could tell you guys there was camera sitting on the ground and it was just running, and I was like. Um, who's manning the camera? Because we're getting a great shot of like feet and the top of the heads are getting cut off, and then they used it. But it, it makes was, it more it authentic your, that way. I it think. was your it was your audio that you guys were. You yeah, they know. wanted the audio. Yeah, the audio was very authentic. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. That's what you want to get out of that. I think you know you want the authenticity of the actual. Because like I say, you can do all the B roll and make it look great, or you can actually show what actually was the hunt like. Right, the yeah. goods and the bads. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, probably, he's, he's a smile. For the people that are stuff. listening, he's smirking over there. There's more shit going on than his head right now. He's no, like, it was funny just how everything worked because I killed the ram and we didn't know if my ram was hit or not. And I ran over the edge because I could see him disappear. And then there was 11 rams when I shot. And then when they came underneath us, there was only 10. 
and I did a quick check with my gun scope right from the front of the herd to the back. I did not see the ram because mine was distinct looking versus the other ones. There was a couple really big ones, 58 to 61 a couple. Wow. And um, so we did those. And I could see that, okay, I said, guy, you need to shoot one of these other ones. I can't, you know, let's pick one out. But they were coming by fast. Not super fast, but by the time the time the camera got, guy got ready and guy got ready, now they're coming fast. Sure. They came underneath us at about 110 yards. Wow, but it was, Man, almost, that's really, it was no, no good shot for camera shot. Um, because the camera what, man wasn't understanding what was going on until I said, hey, they're right here. And then when they came out to our left, and you can see in the video footage that they were going away and they're starting to get distance on us. And we tried to decide, do the first one's big, you know, the third one's big. Just sure. really at that point, you better shoot one. Field judge them. And yeah, yeah we, you guys have been at it for a while. Well, we same, same group, right? Yeah, we couldn't really pick out the biggest one and shoot it at that point. He shot uh, probably the biggest base ram, but definitely not the, not the longest one. But it was a great ram. I mean, it scores way up. I mean, it still scores very well. Sure. But it's just when you see a ram like mine, then the other ones you think, well, those aren't that big, but they actually were big. <laughs> mine was just ex exceptionally rare yeah. to see one like that. That was an incredible yeah. ram. What didn't you say that that was one of the biggest rams that you had seen? And how it's many? The biggest years? one I've ever seen. So, and how many years have you been doing this? Since 2005 there, and since 2002 in Kyrgyzstan. Nice. So now I've seen some that were close. Um, I've seen some bigger based, of course, but I've never seen one that had everything like that and you wow. sent a picture of me of the one here at the show yeah and that was bigger than this one okay <laughs> wow but the thing is behind every big ram you don't really know the whole story on how they're killed sure yeah. sometimes it's really great and sometimes the story is really not worthy of what the ram is yeah because sure. these animals are hard and sometimes the guys have them pre-scouted and everything and the hunters show up and shoot them um you know like this one what i liked about it nobody knew it was there this area is like that, though. Big ones can show up anytime. Sure, anytime, yeah. So we just went hunting. It's like, oh, my God, what is this thing? Where did he come up from? Yeah. So what, you actually saw that group of rams, what, quite a few days earlier, and you just focused uh, we, we on them? We killed it on the fifth day that we chased it. Five days. Yeah. That's some elevation. That's a pursuit. That's cool. Yeah, and we had to change where we came from because you couldn't see it um, from where it originally went. It went too far in, and we had to relocate, spend the night out. In a shepherd's hut. I had a tent. I like. I prefer this to stay in the tent and sleep in the yak shit and everything. But uh, they didn't have warm enough sleeping bags. What and was so the temperatures? Uh, minus 13 at night. Minus 10, minus 13 sure. Fahrenheit. Nice and warm. Mm, I've had way worse. Sure. I've, I've spent nights at minus 28, 29, minus 30 out. So minus 13 is not bad. That's doable. Holy yeah. shit. Both of you guys are nuts. He's going to have good gear. Yeah, it's all about gear, right? Yeah, it's about that. gear and, and knowing how to knowing how to do it makes sure you got a good sleeping pad and everything. Yep. So, but yeah, I know that Marco Polo is really awesome to hunt, but it's also not for the faint of heart when you do it the right way. But unfortunately, a lot of big Marco Polo are not shot the way that is you know becoming of a Marco Polo really, because they have a lot of vehicle assets and a lot of hunters deal with high altitude sickness and they end up shooting pretty close to vehicles because because of the train you can get fairly close to the vehicle. Sure. And how many? Cool. On, I love this topic because I, one of these days, this is like on my bucket list. Hopefully, I won't be too old when it happens. I might be that guy driving around the freaking Jeep. I'm, oh, I, yeah. I, I hate to say it, but um, but what kind of elevation are you talking? Well, we shot my ram at 16.2. Guys died at 16.3, and we, we had to go over the mountain at 16.5. Most of the time, we shoot them between 14.5 and 15.5 so. if they're not spooked. In the acclimatization time frame, could it be? You, you, it's going to take several days. Yeah. They say, tw I think, 2,500 feet a day to get really good acclimatization. So if you come from 5,000 feet, 
you know, to go to 10,000 would take a couple of days. Sure. 15,000 feet in theory would take four Three, days. Four days, yeah. At wow. least. And so that's so, why a lot of the guys end up hunting them from Jeeps and some of the other camps because they, they don't allow enough time for the hunting. And then if you go too hard the first couple of days, you have what happened to Dan, the camera guy. He went too he hard and got sick. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting. So that's you got to let your body naturally adjust. There is no magic pill to take to... To, it's like kind of like a fat pill, right? You can take a fat pill, but you still gotta you still, <laughs> still gotta, gotta be in the gym. It. You gotta look, you gotta, gotta look eat. at the salad, and you gotta get, be in the gym. Yeah, you, you can eat, right? you can yeah. take a pill to um, make you so you don't get as sick, but it won't necessarily increase your performance substantially. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. How, where did your Ram end up in the on the list? Mm, at the time I shot him, number sixteen. But when he, you know, uh, because he's top 20, you have to have an official measure, master measure score. Yeah. So if a couple of the guys shoot big ones that are in the top 20, yeah. then that score will hold, which will probably happen. If it's, there's a couple of other really big ones that have been shot in the last, uh, you know, one year, and other guys maybe entered them. But at the time, it was 16. Wow. That's and I'll, I, I'll probably just wait to um, let him, uh, you know, a couple. Of, I know some of the other ones that were shot would score more if the guys will enter them. But, Still I mean, a great ram. That's awesome, dude. Uh, the, well, the score, he doesn't have the bases to score as big as some of the other ones. Just some of the other ones have 16 and a half inch bases, and he has 15. So if you know your bighorns, a 15-inch base ram versus 16 and a half is pretty substantial. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. go from a one, 190-something yeah. to a 205. So same thing Still. here. Yeah. Still. Yeah. I'm not worried about the score. No, I'm, I'm just, you know, I mean, anything anything that actually ends up in the book is unbelievable. Yeah. Anything in the top 100 is, holy crap. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just phenomenal thinking about it. So, and then, you know, you look around here at, at other animals and other pictures, and you're just like, all of those things are fan-freaking-tastic. Well, there's, there's a lot of giant sheep in that part of the world. If you're a good hunter and, and uh, have some luck and don't shoot too early and don't miss, almost every hunter is going to shoot a good animal over there. You know, very acceptable and much bigger on average than a, a similar, you know, uh, North American animal. Sure. Now, if you draw a Montana brakes tag or something, that's different. But yeah, you're going to be picky there. Yeah. Plus, yeah. you got a month to hunt too. So yeah, it's 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 the dreams, right? Everybody that's walking around here looks at that and goes, "Man, one of these days," or "I'd love to do that," or "Oh my God, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to be able to do that." That's just ridiculous. But you, you have horses in some of the pictures, but that tri that particular trip, you there had no horses. Yeah, human you, horses. Human horses. <laughs> Two legs. Yeah. I still remember back in the day when you were writing all the review articles on every piece of gear and your packs that you were packing up and all that kind of crap. I was like, I still need to do more of that because a lot of people, a lot of people like that, and, and it's there's not it's hard to get really good, accurate information out it there. It is so technical, there's, and and that's well, one thing so that you gear always out there now. delved into. What's that again? There's so much gear out there now. It, it's it's well, the thing is, know. it's really easy. All you need to know is the fundamentals of the gear, and then you can choose. It doesn't matter if it's a QU or a Sitka or Arcteryx or Cryptic. Really, at the end of the day, you have to look for certain things yeah. in certain products, and um, you know you can get. I mean, each company has certain products that are that are excel, and then there's other other. Companies have, I mean, some companies have a very similar line on certain things. So just like packs, I mean, what was a great pack for one guy may not be for the next. Sure. But there's certain things to look for. If you don't have the big enough buckles, if you don't have a strong enough boot sole, it's eventually going to fail much quicker. So ultralight is a is a is an issue issue for like guides and people who travel around the world and can't have stuff failing the, because the lighter it is, the more expensive it is, and the more quickly it looks in a break sure. usually. Or you know, again, if you yeah, lightweight to, to get the lightweight. Sometimes you have to spend you have to a lot sacrifice of money. Yeah. other things too. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some new technologies out there, but still the good basics, you know, are, are still hard to beat. 
I mean, there's still a place for good wool clothing. Yeah. You know, I mean, merino wool has came back. It used to be the itchy, scratchy wool that we had to wear. You yeah. Know, that most well, of merino's stuff come merino. a long ways. But anyway, if you had to spend the night in the mountain all the time, you know, you're still better off in wool than the fleeces. Sure. Because you can lay beside a fire. Yep. You know, and it's it's uh, better when it's wet, and it's actually more wind-resistant than fleece. Yeah. The only way to get fleece wind-resistant is to put membranes and stuff in it, which don't breathe as well. And, uh, you know, you can have issues. So most of the people, though, that they go out, they don't sleep by a fire like the old mountain men used to. Yeah. But if you ever get wet, miserable enough to spend the night in the mountain, it's... Oh, being wet know, in general For me, miserable. the puffy jackets are some of the nicest things. You the know, down the, jackets. Down and, and synthetic. Yeah. Yeah, those are some of the nicest products we have out there for keeping warm when you're sitting and glassing. Yep. And then the footwear technology is better now, too. I'm a... I'm a foot whore when it comes to boots. <laughs> I just sent my Kinetrex in to have them recobbled because they were about seven, eight years and needed new insoles, new soles. I've never worn soles. a boot for seven, eight years. I have boots that are seven, eight years old that I, I don't even know why I hang on to them just because they're kind of like keepsakes or whatever. But most of the time, if I get a good pair of boots, it's pretty well done in about a year. Yeah, well, how many days in the field yeah. are you out? Yeah. You're a little different than most people. Well, you probably have a lot of boots, and you can rotate them. If you can rotate your boots, they'll and last I, a lot longer. And I don't wear my Kenetrex in the summertime when we're chasing elk and we're chasing deer. I'm wearing basically tennis shoes. And I can't you know? do that. My ankles won't handle it. Yeah. And, I mean, looking at the country that you're talking about, especially, you know, mm-hmm. over there, it's all rocky, cobbly, top of the mountain, yeah. no, no tree line, no soft stuff. And the boot soles wear out a lot quicker than yeah. a California forest. It'll just exactly. eat, it, eat it alive. Yeah, the sharp. Well, I've, had, I've had a pair of Keelan boots that shredded the sole in a month on uh, northern BC and a Northwest Territories trip. Two or three sheep hunts, totally gone. Brand new. Wow. <laughs> Down to the, cut through the leather on the front of the toe. Jeez. The whole front was gone. And that was like a $400 boot. Yeah. So yeah, less than 30 days and it was done. Wow. 30 days of actual hiking time in the mountains, all the, the shale and the scree. We, we call it, I call it the Rocky Mountain Shale that's uh, on the east side of the Rockies in northern Canada. It's, it's, it's much much rougher that way. Yeah, it's tough on gear for sure. Yeah, they're, bold, they're not the slick uh, granite, like, you know, that kind of rock that has the, um, when, it, when it rains, all the lichen gets slippery. Yeah. Uh, it's a sharper, really grayish type shale that you see, yeah. like, in the Prophet Moskwa and and then the NWT, all the NWT has is full of it. Well, you take one step and you take three steps back sometimes in that shale. Yeah, and that just shreds your shoes. Yeah. yeah very, very sharp. Or you take that one step and you slide that extra bit and all well, it's of it. it's great going downhill, not great for going uphill. I don't know. My knee doesn't think it's great going downhill. I, my knee would rather go up the hill. That's what usually happens. The knees are fatigued more going down. Yeah, yeah. all that weight yeah, on because when I snap my knee um, a few, you know, just... I snapped a few months before I shot that Marco Polo, so I had to do the season without the ACL. How and, is that doing uh, now? Is your knee good? Or? It's better, but it's not ideal. Like, I hyperextended it a couple times last year in August, uh, guiding some sheep hunters. Do you have to wear a brace or anything on it? I'm or? supposed to, but I didn't. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Why would I wear that? Why would I do and that? Because it, it hurt. It, the brace yeah, hurt the brace my leg. Probably probably restricts you a little bit too a little extent. bit but what it was doing it was chafing and digging in the back of my leg and making my leg bleed and i didn't have i didn't know i should have they, they actually sell like a uh, a spandex like, like a, a sleeve or sleeve, something exactly and i didn't have that on and so i it was bleeding a couple times and it was too much pain and i, I don't like that much annoyance i said screw it but then i had a couple times if i had it i probably wouldn't have partially hyperextended it yeah. twice yeah. it was definitely a trade-off Man, that's painful. You shot yeah. nice moose, too. That Shiro's moose you shot? It's not bad last day of the season moose. I didn't last like. day of the season. I yeah, love, but not many I people ever shoot a moose in Wyoming. 
There's not many people that get that opportunity. Years of, Twenty years of applying. Yeah. Yeah. A max points. I keep. I keep it wondering. It was a forty-inch moose. Like I think it was eight eight points per side. I never saw a giant one. Big, it was the biggest one I saw. Still a trophy. How many days did you put in the field for yourself? Um, hard hunting, probably eight, and then probably easy days hunting, probably another five. That's good. That's five, good. Five, five, something like that. That's good. Um, but no terrible hard days. I had one day that was really bad, probably, for me, with my knee and stuff in the snow. I mean, I, I, I didn't stop but to drink water and have a par- granola bar in six hours twice. Wow. So you were motoring. Just tracking a big bull. Okay, so between you two, I think you could probably carry me off and on. This should work out pretty good. He's been a machine lately. I mean, he's... I was at... Well, yeah, it's good. Yeah. This is my first time I was at the gym in a long time today. The first time in months. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I was going to do it as soon as I got back and I got that bad cold, and I felt better this morning. Good. So our, good. our Tajikistan partner and I, we went to the gym for about 45 minutes. Feels good actually. Yeah, well, I can actually feel bit. my shoulders like tingling and and like they're like alive. That's the first time I've done any weights <laughs> forever. I used to go quite a bit, really. Well, and, uh, he's. I'm not much of a gym guy, but but like he'll, throw it he'll back run on me. It. He'll yeah, run but, me but in it's, the ground. But I think the nice thing about a gym is um, for me, I don't I, I don't like to stretch and do that stuff much at home. So if I go to the gym, I'll I'll, I'll get on a mat you, yeah. and do it and. And, and just do everything. It's just better focus. It's like doing your office work. It's easier to do it at the office than it is at your Sitting kitchen at home. table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so I think for me, it's just the, the concept of doing it. Now, if you don't have it, there's some good... I, I just download some apps on when I was flying back from Tajikistan on my phone that have a bunch of like body weight type exercises. Mm-hmm. I, I do better when I have a plan written out. Otherwise, I just do one or two and say, screw it. This is boring. I don't want to do it anymore. I need to make some phone calls or something. But you just... That's why if I go to the gym and allocate <laughs> yeah, an hour, focus or on an it. hour and a half, yeah. I mean, you just can't just rely on strictly your hunting and hiking yeah. to get you in shape. Because that, that, that doesn't work your core, though. And, uh, and just hiking doesn't build fast twitch muscles. And so you don't, you, sometimes you lose some of that bouncy agility that you would have by sure. doing some more powerful lifting. You know, I know that's why a lot of people do CrossFit and other kinds of, you know, interval training. So you have a little more explosion. Because yeah. otherwise you're just like a big slug the whole day. Yeah. Out there at two to three miles an hour, the pack grinding it out, your grinder. Yeah, you can grind it out. But like you say, <laughs> if you got to hit a rock or something happens quick and you got to, you know, you got to respond quick, you may not have that. Well, you still do. Actually, switch. hiking is really good. You, you, the, as far as foot agility, bounce, but you don't have that speed that you would do. I mean, I know, I know it's, you know, dancing and, and yoga and those kind of things are good for people, actually. Um, you know, not much of a yoga I, guy, but either am I. Hot but, yoga. But oh, it, I bet he'd, he'd be good at hot yoga. I'd be in sure the back of, of the room. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With sunglasses on. Exactly. Because your eyes will be looking over here and the instructor's in front. What's that one move they do? Yeah. The downward dog? Yeah, the downward dog. See, what a bait. Here that we was, go. That was throw it out there. I'm sitting there going, wait, Brian's going to take it. Brian's going to take it. Yep, Brian got it. There we go. There's no hesitation. There's no hesitation. No hesitation. Well, the yeah. reality is in this game, you know, talking about weight cut and all that kind of stuff everybody's buying a lighter rifle buying a lighter pack and all those things and as you mentioned some of those things don't withhold under extreme pressures some people always i don't like ultralight anything yeah one of my friends told me he goes you know jason if you just lose five pounds that means it wouldn't matter if your gun weighed you know nine pounds versus six mm-hmm. you know because yeah. it balances it balances out uh-huh. and the reality uh-huh. is we all know a heavier gun 
if you're shooting long distance, is going to be way stabler yeah. than a lightweight gun. Yeah. So just interesting how you how yeah. you, how you justify things, right? Oh, yeah. Both sides, but anyway. Yep. Pluses and minuses to both. Pluses you, you, and minuses. You just have to be wise in what you cut weight with. Exactly. If you go too much minimalist, then you'll, and if something goes wrong, you're you're not going to do well out there. I found that. I don't even know how guys, guys have told me they can go with 40 pounds. Um, I, I, I can't. I, I day hunt with 40 pounds. And that's what I find with my pack. It's it's what are those few critical certain things you, you can live with live 40 without. pounds. I need 20. <laughs> well, you can't because I have a my my I use a CT travel, Swarovski tripod, no bullshit little lay on the ground tripods. Yeah, they're heavy. And I have a full size 82. No, Leica, or I recommend like the 85 or something Swarovski. You don't need the 95, but yeah, that's nine and a quarter, nine and a half pounds for those two. Gun is nine. With, I always pack usually 10 to 13 rounds of ammo, so I don't ever pack like three or four, even though you normally need three or four. But just like having a spare tire, yep. you might need it one day. So you're at 18 to 19 pounds, minimum almost 20 for that. Your pack is five to seven pounds. Yep. And that's without water. Yeah. You got to pack at least a liter and a half, two liters of water. I, so usually I do two liters. That's four pounds. Now you're up to over um, you're 30 pounds. Now you need rain gear. You need a puffy jacket. You need a dry pair of socks, dry T-shirt, another jacket. You need first aid stuff. You need your cape bag. You yeah. need all that stuff. You're at 40 pounds. Like I'm easy minimum 40. 35 to 40. Yeah. If I got my camera, some of my camera gear and stuff, I'm easily at 40 pounds. And I have a, a headlamp. You know, sometimes I'll take two headlamps because with the groups, I've had guys forget to pack extra batteries. So you go through yeah. and make sure they got extra batteries. So, yeah, you, you, you cannot day hunt in the mountains properly with less than 35 to 40 pounds, in my opinion. Yeah. If you want to, in, in these, I'm these with you. why would you have a $4,000 spotting scope and a $150 tripod, right? It's like having a Ferrari yeah. and going and putting smart car tires on it. It's like useless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can only drive at 100 miles that's an hour. That's a good point, yeah. So why have, a, why have a spotting scope that's going to be shaking in the wind and vibrating and, and its annoyance? Those, I can always tell. And, uh, to me, if you don't shoot with a bipod on your gun for long-range shooting, if you're trying to shoot off of a pack, and if you try and use a pack or cheap bi, you are not a great shooter and you're not a great glasser. You never can be because you don't have the right tools. Yeah. Well, we've sworn by <laughs> binoculars on tripods. I mean, that's... Yeah. Fifteens on tripods is just... It's, that's a standard it's anymore. It's a standard. That's, and kick, then that's kick ass. You got you to gotta put the time. And I was talking actually to, to a couple people, and my son was there, and he's 14. Yep. And he doesn't know any different because he's always grown up with good optics and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, he'll grab the Leicas, and he just, he just assumes that's the way things everybody's done. Well... We were talking to a couple other people, and one of his younger buddies goes, oh, yeah, we saw this great buck, you know, and he was like 350 yards and blah, blah, blah. And my kid's like, well, why didn't you kill him? He's like, oh, well, we, had, we, we couldn't shoot that far. And my kid's like, what? You know, we, sh we practice at 600 yards. And, yeah. and it was just funny watching my son kind of get the cold realization of, of, you mean everybody doesn't do this? I'm like, no, I remember in the day when, like, we were happy at 100 yards, you know, and hitting a pie pan. And... Mm -hmm. That ain't the way it is now. We have the technology. Yeah. But all of his shots lately have been all really close because we still try to get into that bubble if you can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We have the technology to go further if you need yeah, to. You still can't make up for good hunting skills with technology. You can maybe if you're a client but not as a hunter. That's true. Somebody That's still point. has to know how to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And, That's uh, true. And, you know, trail cameras and stuff have helped, but 
um, you know, but a lot of these guys, you shoot these big animals, the guides are pre-scouting and out there scouting all the time. And, you know, the hunter shows up and maybe doesn't really fully appreciate how much work went into it. Sure. He probably doesn't even know. He shows up on a plane, shoots it, gets back on his plane, and he's gone. Yeah. yeah. And that happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, that happens all That's the time. That's why I don't judge the, the, the ability of the hunter by the size of the animal a lot of times. Sure. We I were agree. talking earlier in a, in a, in a podcast, and, and we made a comment. It's about the experience, not necessarily about the inches. Not to say that we don't try it, to kill the biggest thing that we can, yeah. but it's about the experience because I feel closer to God or our creator when I'm on top of that mountain watching the wildlife move underneath me through a pair of 15s mm-hmm. than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't care what building you put me in and, and what preacher you put oh, me yeah. in front of. You know, it, it doesn't match. And I think if I could take those people with me, that they'd see that, but most of them are never going to go there. No, it makes you more in touch. But, I mean, it, it, it's you don't want to let the inches of the animal dictate the success of the hunt. A- Amen. You know, but at the same time, um, you know, I wouldn't, if I was only shooting female animals, I wouldn't be hunting either. True. I mean, I would yeah. do it once. It was not challenging for me. You know, it would be like driving a car that never goes more than 40 miles an hour. I would get really bored quickly. And so for me, hunting that big animal is a challenge, and it's, uh, it gives you something to go for. Because too many hunters are goal-oriented too much and, and not fun-oriented. Because hunting should be fun and not yeah. just a goal. Well, we all get to that point where it's like, okay, I'm not going to shoot a raghorn bull anymore because I'm looking for you know, a mature six-point or whatever. Yeah. And you're okay eating your tag you know, uh, if you don't like, end up killing yeah. a mature six-point. It's like a weightlifter saying, okay, I've already benched 150 pounds. I want to do 200 in two months, you know, and then they want, you know, somebody start from, yeah. you know, you got to have realistic goals. But if you say, well, I'm going to bench, if I don't bench 500 pounds, by the time I'm 25 years old, I'm a loser, right? Like, that's stupid also. Yeah, yeah that's an unrealistic goal. Yeah. Yeah, so some people put unrealistic goals on themselves, and then they also make it not fun. So, I, I mean, I, I have a saying because we talk about bow hunters and... and uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is probably my favorite, my new analogy I have. Bow hunting, because they always want to go, what about bow hunting internationally? Like, and it was said, but the guides don't understand bow hunting. The, what they do understand is some of the old guides used to sh- poach with shotguns and 22 long rifles, which is mm-hmm. similar to bow hunting. you got to get 100 yards or so. Sure. So, I mean, so for that reason, they can understand it. But, I mean, for a lot of guides, bow hunting is, is something that's really foreign for them. So bowling is a much, it's kind of like masturbation. It's a lot easier, better to do it by yourself sometimes <laughs> than to have an audience. And it's That's really, a good analogy. It is. It's a very, it is a very personal thing. And, <laughs> and also a lot of people, again, um, they distract from what you really want to do. Bow hunting is, it takes a lot more time and uh, a lot more skill. Sure. Well, you got to be close. Yeah, not necessarily more skill in certain things, but, but, but get, getting close and being patient. And, and the patience... I mean, I've always said you can kill anything you want with a bow, but it might take you a week instead of like an hour. Sure. So That's if you're true. willing to sit out there and live and watch that bastard and get hungry and cold, eventually he's going to do something stupid and he's going to walk right into your lap. But the difference with a rifle, I can push that, that envelope to maybe an hour or two. A bow hunting, you may not be able to push it. It might be a day, two, three days, a week, and that's the difference. We've all been there. Yeah, so it's not to say yeah. the guy's a better hunter. He's, a lot of it's is more patient. Yeah. And also, he, he when he does get that opportunity, he can't screw it up. you got to capitalize when it's there. Yeah. Because it may be that one time. And, and so, so to take a guide along and have him understand that experience is very difficult. Especially in a foreign country. Yes. 
yeah. if they haven't done it themselves. So if either. you're not a super highly skilled bow hunter, I mean like super skilled and passionate, do not bow hunt international countries where they don't understand bow hunting. It's a waste of time. Well, interesting. I, I loved I loved bow hunt, but I also look at it as what's I realistic. I tried to figure out ways to be able to hunt more yeah, yeah. early on. Well, and the, there's a reason we do it, but international, they don't have yeah, bow laws. Correct. So It's an North American thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. It is. It was all about expanding the time to be able to hunt. And hunting and, around busy areas where there's houses and stuff like that. And it, and it helped me, too, because it put me more days in the field, and it made me better at everything else. I mean, when I was bow hunting, a lot of times I wouldn't get anything. But as soon as rifle season rolled around, I was shooting nice animals at like 35 yards with a high-powered rifle you know you're like oh it does make it better but yeah. or you just hunt the open sights or 30 30 or something whatever it is whatever the t- tool you just say i'm going to get close but it but it is but, pretty but it's hard though when you were, when you were hunting giant animals i have a really good rule as soon as he gives you a shot you're pretty damn confident you can make do not screw around and get cocky and try and show off kill him now only one little mistake one weather comes in you may never see him again yep Wind that's, jets, a, that's actually excellent, excellent advice. Don't wait, oh, I'm going to wait for the perfect shot. No, that is good enough. But you have to be highly skilled and know what your gun can do, what your bow can do, and you don't take the really risky shots with the bow. I mean, there's just too much shit to go wrong. You don't yeah. have the follow-up shots. So with a rifle in the open country, I have a quick ability to do a follow-up shot. Sure. And with a bow, you can't. But bow hunters still should always be ready for that follow-up shot because you never know. As soon as you shoot, you should be loaded. You know, put yep, another, another arrow on the rest. and re- get ready to go. Yeah. So speaking speaking of that, when you're when you're international and you're doing that, you're are you still shooting the the long range gun systems? Always, because the long range works well for close range. I, I don't. I only shoot a four to sixteen power scope, and I shoot more of a premium long range bullet. I don't shoot the extreme. Uh, I'm not shooting just like the burgers and stuff that don't that aren't. Um, that don't really perform well at super yeah, close range close on big range, animals. Yeah. So not, now if I'm hunting just strictly bears and moose, I'm not going to shoot a, high, a VLD bullet probably. Yeah. Uh, well, I can, I'll shoot a Barnes or I'll shoot a cutting edge or something that's still decent. I don't need to shoot a BC at point seven for a, a, a moose or a grizzly bear. So if I remember right, you you have, do you have a best of the West long range gun? I do. I have, several, I have a couple Borden rifles that I use. I have uh, a best of the West rifle. Um, I'm getting another rifle from Snowy Mountain Gunworks. Okay. And do, um, you, do you have yeah. one? Like, mentally, I think of going on a I use a 7. Well, on this mountain hunting, I, I used to use a 6.5-06 for years. But it's a hassle because you have to reload for it. And you can't get new fa- new factory brass. Yeah. So I, I kind of made a rule. I'm not going to buy any uh, guns anymore for hunting that I have to fire form the brass, that I can't at least buy somebody Go else, buy right? brass and start doing your own yeah, loads. Yeah, like if you, even an Ackley, you can like a 280 Ackley, you can buy brass now, or you can shoot a 280 Remington in it and, and fire form it if you have to. Now, technically, the best way to fire form stuff is like with a cream of wheat and all that. that, that, that. But I mean, the, I mean it, when you do a 6.5-06, you had to, had to take another case. I mean, you couldn't really just like fire form it. You had to neck it down and change. You, there was no, there was no um, case out there. That, it's that, like yeah, yeah, the six five three hundred. You got to shoot a box of those to get brass, and you're a hundred bucks a box. So I think the six five SOM or the six five gap people make make brass for that now. It's so, becoming so, more available. So in regards to like your Asian, mm-hmm. do you have a gun over there all time? Or, well, some or, of the some of the camps have guns that, that are decent, but I tell all the hunters they should always bring their own gun. And okay. then if they don't have one, they have the guys have stuff that's good enough. You know, yeah. I shot my rifle, my, my Marco Polo, with a bo- borrowed rifle. So 
because that's I guess that's where I was going is I always love shooting my own gun but at the same time sometimes paperwork is a real pain in the yeah. ass to make that happen and I know that you have quality stuff because I I even read the old old articles where you went to Australia and laid out there and shot yeah. a bazillion and a half rounds just finding out well which bullet works at way the hell out there and which one doesn't and you know the carnage that you left behind in those past days so oh, it does work I mean yeah that's you, it, the proof's in the pudding right but even at that you think about it elevation 16,000 feet you got to have turrets for that I mean you really have to have a gun that's dialed ready to go at those elevations well if I can't hit my cell phone at 500 yards I'm not happy that's kind of a target well, that's what I'm, you need to do to yeah. be proficient. I'm going to tune the gun until it's shooting perfect. You have to. I yeah. just, my buddy just borrowed the gun. He never shot past 380 yards with anything, and he's 42 or 43 years old. And uh, we were odd at hunting, and I was really sick that day. I said, just take my gun. I said, you saw how it was shooting? Yeah, I said, yes. <laughs> and I said, Driving tax. I said, just dial it to whatever. Here's my rangefinder and, bino and binoculars because his, his gun and rangefinder binoculars didn't show up. And I said, just don't question it. If it says 620, dial it to 620. If it says 650, dial it to 650. Yeah. And hold on, perfect trigger pull. It's like pounding a quarter pound, a half pound jewel. And wow. I said, do a dry, dry fire or two with it just before. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, same thing. He, he said he hit within an inch of where he was holding at 650. <laughs> I tell, my, I tell my kids when <laughs> wow. they're practicing, when, That's proficient. when we're on the animal and they're laying down and they've got the gun on them, I'm like, okay, we got to do two dry fires. I said, take a deep <coughs> breath and easy squeeze. Yep. And I go, okay, let's do it one more time. Easy peasy. Right? Yeah. As soon as I reload, put that third thing, I, I go, there's a shell in here. Do not put your finger on the trigger until oh, you're yes. ready to go. And I said, then it's deep breath easy squeeze and then I always ask them are you ready and they go yeah I said okay I'm ready you go ahead and shoot whenever you feel comfortable yeah. and, and almost every time you do that and you walk through that same process over and over again when they pull that trigger it's done yeah and you're simulating well well the thing is on Marco Polo hunting and all this stuff though it, it sometimes don't have the time no. to do that and that's the difference that's well, I noticed where you the, have to be ready in the footage that that, that you guys did have on that hunt oh, and it's just, it's, it was you have to go now. Hurry up and yeah. go. And yeah. that's what separates the guys from the, the, guy, the guys that have experience versus don't. The guys that don't have experience, don't have confidence, fail more than 50% of the time in that situation. Yeah, it's high stress. That I was, mean, you, high heart rate. You hyper-focus on what you need to do and just get it done. And You could tell. You guys did it, even though, like you said, you had bad, not as great as footage as you would like. Yeah. You could tell from the audio what was going on and how, you know, you know, just well, you didn't get much of my audio with when I shot mine. More guys. Yeah. yeah. So cool. So, so Brian, what, what else? What other shows you got? So you're here for an extended amount of time, I go right? To, I'm going to Dallas. Don't have a booth there. Helping okay. out my sister at there. That she does a shooting school with the Brandon Rock Canyon. Probably try and get some of my clients to go to a course and do that. Uh, early May is probably when I'm going to try and be there. And then um, uh, I'm going to help out my friends at Wild Hunting in Asia, Turkey. These guys. Uh, I do a lot of partnering with them in Turkey and Mongolia. So they have a booth there, so I'll bounce them back before those two booths. I got some meetings with some clients. Then I go uh, I go to South Dakota and help my friends out with Rolling Bones. And then I go to um, uh, the next show is Grand Slam in Las Vegas. Elvis, okay. Yeah, and then I go to Reno. Sheep back show. To here, Sheep show, and then I go to Salt Lake City. Okay, cool. So We'll if, run into if you people, again. If people need to get a hold of you, how did they get a hold of you? Just AsianMountainOutfitters.com. The website's easy. You can go look us up on Instagram or Facebook. And if you really want to get a hold of you, better try a couple times. Sometimes <laughs> I am. Um, I've had a lot of people say, oh, we couldn't get a hold of you. So um, 
this time of year it's done pretty easy, but usually text message me. Yeah, it uh, seems to be the easiest. Well, if, <laughs> if it's during hunting season, you're in some mountain range somewhere. Yeah. You got an in reach and a, and a satellite phone. You're probably not returning phone calls too often. I do sometimes. I'm I'm not as good about it as I used to, but um, I, I it depends on. Sometimes I'm perfect, and other times I'm a disaster. It just what? depends on my mood. Uh, let's requote that. Sometimes I'm perfect, and sometimes I'm di- that sounds normal, man. He always loves some of the messages I'll we've get from him. Put you, we've always put you on that pedestal a little higher than the rest. It could oh, be. It if could, you clip in some of those, it could, that's going to be good. Yeah, it could be like a video of a guy getting trampled by a buffalo, or it could be like a, something like Christmas with some girl in a Santa hat. And <laughs> oh, yeah, whatever, right? <laughs> I love it. And those are, those are the mild ones. I don't even send you the ones that a lot of my friends send. <laughs> Crazy so, your poems were pretty good too that you end up writing. Oh, I can write some good poems. Yeah, well, you know, usually we're we're not doing politically. something. He's like, check what Brian just the said. Transgender yeah. fender bender. The transgender <laughs> fender bender. I write one and you can't stump the Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Jeez. And there is just so everybody knows, it is uh, nine in the morning, and there has been no alcohol involved in this conversation no. at all. No. no, and there's no. I didn't see any Trump protesters with blue uh, blue hair. You won't see many it. of those here, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the weather's nice and warm. They always come out for that. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, well, I think, cool. yeah. Well, anyway, guys, it was good to talk. Yeah, I, I'm good gonna, to catch up, I'm Ryan. Gonna, i got to make a couple calls stuff. here and, and then yeah. get back to the guys. And Will you good. freaking get back to work, you laser bastard? You I know. know. It's only been up since 3, and it's 9 in the morning. About 3.30, technically. Well, you Maybe know. Maybe it was 3.15. I didn't really look, but it was damn early. <laughs> give the benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of people were still going to bed when I got up. <laughs> um, I can almost guarantee there was a lot of people still going to bed because I've seen some eyes walking around here. Oh, so. yeah. I wanted to be more fresh, and, and if I don't get sleep, I need to get at least six hours of sleep and not drinking when I'm sick. I mean, I've, I've, had sh- I've had shows where I did three to four hours a night for like three or four, and I can literally fall asleep at the table. Yeah, you'll burn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, drinking uh, drinking, and when you're sick is not a good combination. No, it just wears drinking you down and, even more. Drinking and doing anything usually is not a good combination. Yeah, I found that out the other night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's his birthday, so that's well, the, a little that's, bit that's uh, a story. moderation, no problems. But the problem is there's not a lot of moderation at SCI yeah. shows. No. Especially when you're hanging on. around with a whole bunch of other people because it's amazing how drinks just show up. And you're not. Where did this come from? <laughs> Too much later going on, somebody like the guide, spends, the guide spends all of his August stone sheep tips on one week <laughs> of drinks. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah, true. Right. Brian, right. good Brian. to catch up with you, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. talking about you, man. We'll you catch too. you around the next show. All right. Thank you, guys. Be safe. Bye bye. Hey, everyone. This is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, 
We hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.